When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. So, uh, hello. Hello, Laura Sassi. Hello. (laughs) Uh, And hello to all of our video and podcast viewers around the world. This is Mel Rosenberg, a host for the Children's Literature Channel of the New Books Network. And uh, today I have a very special and successful children's book author, Laura Sassi, from New Jersey. Right. And... uh, here I am in Israel, and isn't it wonderful that we have all of these miracles in our lives? Great use of technology. <clears throat> yes, but it is a kind of a miracle, even if you're not religious. Yes. <laughs> but you, but you are religious. So this is a this is a uh, departure from my usual uh, comfort zone. Um, you have two recent uh, books, um, which might be called denominational books or religious books for young children. And um, I'm going to ask you to tell us about them uh, okay. because um, I'm, I feel like an alien reading these books and I have lots of questions. So let's start out with your really new book, uh, Bunny Finds Easter. Okay. And, yeah, and, and, and you have another new one called Little You, which I find more interesting. But st- yeah, start out with Bunny Finds Easter. Okay, it came, all right. It just, it just came out last week. It did. It, just, it's brand just, just, just in time for Easter. That's right. So, uh, yeah, and just the right size for an Easter basket. So this is just a very simple board book for littlest readers that just, I would say, has like a light faith touch on it. It's about Bunny, who is enjoying all the traditions of Easter, going on Easter egg hunts, decorating Easter eggs, but just wonders, what is Easter really about? And... There's a little bit of even board book foreshadowing. There's a cross that appears on the hot cross buns, and then you can follow the cross, and she gets to church, and they sing an Easter song, and then it says her spirit glows, and deep inside she knows Jesus. That's what Easter is all about. So just like a little introduction, a fun introduction for littlest ones that you could tie into what you're doing at Easter 
Easter egg hunts and so forth are very popular during that uh, one, season. One second. So, so be, you know, treat me like an alien, right? I'm Jewish. I know nothing about Easter. <laughs> um, but I know that bunnies are involved in Easter somehow and that, and that you don't eat them on Easter. So what's their job? Well, I think bunnies are just sort of representative of the new life, like little chicks and bunnies, the new life you have in Christ. You're, it's all things are made new at Easter. Okay, because Easter, Easter, uh, which shares common roots with Passover. Yes. The, these are, it's a spring festival that goes back thousands of years to exactly. pagan, pagan worship and culture. And, and it's really, really interesting. I don't know how the bunnies got into it, but certainly... I'm not sure either. <laughs> but as long as you don't eat them for, for Easter. So I, I'm, I'm happy that, you know, that they're heroes of Easter. And you go around finding these eggs, right? Exactly. Yes. So on an Easter egg hunt, so in our family, when we were little, and this is one of the reasons I wrote it, I was confused when I was little, as many small children are, but, you know, is it about the Easter bunny and Easter eggs and jelly beans, or is it about a little bit more? So when I was little, we always lived in cold climates. Um, the Easter bunny would come and hide Easter eggs and jelly beans, and then we'd find them Easter morning. And then we'd go to get dressed up and go to church <laughs> and celebrate Easter. But I didn't really understand what we were celebrating. Um, and so, uh, yeah, so this has all, all of those. All those, all, those, all those traditions can be used to point to the meaning of Easter. You can talk about in symbolic ways. So you can talk about the eggs, new life being coming out of the egg or the tomb, the, the egg could be like the, the tomb, the rot, the stone at the tomb that's rolled away on Sunday morning and Jesus has risen, all those kinds of things. The jelly beans um, with my kids, I would say, are, you know, God's love. There's, there, God's love is even sweeter than the jelly bean, things like that. Okay, but he, here's the thing, you know, um, wh whether or not you believe um, in Jesus um, you know, everything in the book starts out fun. Um, you know, it's spring and there's there's goodies and chocolates and, and eggs. And uh, and then everybody's in church. The bunnies are in church and the priest is a, is a, um, a dog or a bear or somebody. Yeah. And then in the next page, it talks about Jesus dying for our sins. And I'm saying to myself, as an old Jew, this is an oive minute because... <laughs> You know, if, if we could talk to our kids about death uh, whenever we chose, the Jews would, would wait till the kids are in their early 30s. Yes. And here you're talking to a three-year-old. Um, I know. I would just say I, I lightly touched on it, but didn't go into it in great depth. And the, the emphasis is on the joy that he has risen and the new life we have. But yes, that's a fine line. Of like, you don't want to scare little ones. Um, but you also don't want to leave him out of the most important holiday of the Christian faith. No, I, I, yeah. I certainly. So, yeah, it is, it is a balance. And, you know, no, it, it's very interesting, Laura, that you didn't sugarcoat it. Everything about Easter to me seems to be sugarcoated. Yes. Um, you know, the, the eggs are colorful and everything everything's yes. happy and, and jumping around and, and rebirth and regrowth and spring. And then you have this terribly sad story. Right. Yes. In the yes. middle of it. Right. Yeah. And, you know, with each of my kids, when we talked about it, kids have different sensibilities at different ages. And I think you really have to know your child and respond to the questions they're asking. 
So like my son was always just asking really deep faith questions from the time he was little, but my daughter was much more Easter bunnies and jelly beans, <laughs> you know, not really not asking those kinds of questions. So uh, I, I do think like, you're right. I mean, I, I wouldn't wait till they were in their thirties, but definitely go, <laughs> you know, definitely, you know, be, be ready to talk with your kids, but answer the questions they're asking. Okay. We, we will come back to that. It, okay. um, it, it's a very cute book until, until it gets into the, um, the, the until, then. until the theology part. Um, <laughs> it, so, so this is a, um, I, I guess it's a really good book uh, for, um, for Christian parents right. who, who I want to um, teach their children that, that uh, Easter is more to them than just the, the eggs and the chocolate. Right. Yeah. Um, and the, I'm not sure too many uh, Jews are going to buy the book, though. No, probably not. <laughs> okay. Let, let's uh, let's have a look at the at the uh, other one, which okay. is sli- which is slightly for an older age, I think. Yes. And I, I have lots of questions about this one. Oh, okay. All right. So, little you is a retelling of one of my favorite parables in the Bible, uh, the parable of the lost sheep, where the shepherd notices that one sheep is missing and he leaves the flock to go and find the lost sheep. And everyone rejoices when the the lost sheep is found. But I wanted to, uh, it's a counting book and it's told from the the, uh, point of view of little you, which I always like to tell kids in visits is sort of like you, it sounds like you and that you are loved just the way little you is loved. So it's a counting book inspired by my own kids who like to wander. So little you finds, oh, she's exploring, she's counting spider webs and leaping frogs and all sorts of things. And then she wanders further and further away from the shepherd, does have a scary moment when she's lost and kids get scared. She's lost, it is kind of scary. But we talk about what do you think the shepherd's gonna leave her lost and behind and then we see no, there he is counting. Will he notice? And then I would say a favorite spread. Here he is founder. She's safe and snug, cradled in kind shepherd's hug. So that is, and this one really, I mean, this one is, it is religious because it's a, a retelling of a parable, but it's also like most of my books. So maybe Bunny Easter, Bunny Finds Easter is the exception. I would say they meet at the crossover, at the intersection of faith and mainstream. So you can read them, you know, they're, they're definitely, you can read them as a Christian book, but it's also a book about the shepherds in your life. And I'd say my other books all sort of have that universal quality. So it's more, I guess, maybe my, my faith a little, a little bit touching on it, but also touching on universal feelings that people have and universal themes like comfort and love and kindness and so forth. So that's little you. And this one came out last year with beaming, with beaming books, which is an imprint of it's the, uh, it's a Lutheran imprint and they do a wide variety of books. Some like this that are more faith-based and others that are social justice, other, other themes like, and, um, child, um, health, mental health, like just good, good, good stories. Anyway. Yeah. So, so, um, I don't know this story. So is it a New Testament story? It is. Yep. So it's a story that Jesus told in the New Testament, but it kind of harkens back to Psalm 23. Mm -hmm. The Lord is my shepherd. 
And certainly, you know, the parables, it was a parable that Jesus told. So uh, drawing upon their sheep and shepherds and things that were common in that landscape and time. Uh, and yes, it's about um, though, the sh- though the little lamb wanders, he is found and taken back again and saved. Oh, so okay. that's the message. Yeah. So, uh, so I feel like an alien, but thank you very much for explaining these things. Yes. Um, so, so the the uh, twelve stars. What do they represent? Well, in the Old Testament, the twelve stars would represent the twelve tribes. Um, I just thought it was a nice whole number. I counted up to twelve. Uh-huh. I don't think the stars the stars aren't in the parable. Where are they? Mm-hmm. They don't really represent anything. In that's a good, interesting question. They don't represent anything specifically, but they are sort of in keeping with numbers in the Bible and 12 is a very important number. We had the, your, the 12 tribes, right? And then you had the 12 disciples, but I wasn't really, I was just thinking 12. I wasn't, there really wasn't, I mean, I could pretend there was something deeper with it when I chose 12, but I, the story needed, I wanted it to 10 just wasn't quite enough to get as lost as I wanted the little lamb to get. <laughs> so, so, so Laura here it, 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 in the Psalm, it's really all about uh, God. Yes. Yes. Um, and in this, uh, and I don't, I, like, I haven't followed the New Testament lately, um, but in this parable, it's uh, about God. This, the, the, yeah, but this naughty little you, yes, uh, gets itself into trouble. Yes. It's a, um, it's a, it's a getting lost saga, of this you yeah. that says, oh, well, I, I maybe I know I should go back to the flock. But here I have spiders, and over there I have guyavas or figs or something, and and I'll just I'll, I'll be back soon until she gets totally lost, and it's nighttime, and there's all kinds of menacing um, owls and Bats. I forget, crocodiles Bats. and stuff. Yes, yeah. yes, no crocodiles. <laughs> Bats. That that's in my Jewish version. <laughs> and, and and so I, like I was really intrigued by this um, because because of the reader response in other words uh, what what are, what are you teaching here in this in this story if anything i think i'm teaching if god is our shepherd god is our shepherd and i believe god is our shepherd he wants us back in the flock he wants us he loves us and he cares for us and even if we wander and even if you know life's distractions t- take us away he's always ready there to come and find us, but little you calls out to him. You know, we want we need to call out to him. But yes, he wants to find us, and he, it's a story of redemption. Okay, so you know, because I I think that uh, Judaism and Christianity are really really similar religions. I think but, so too. But but there are points of difference here because, you know, I would uh, I would punish this you for getting lost, um, and uh, the story is kind of. Um, it's okay to get lost because God is there, Jesus is there, the shepherd is there. Uh, you can be, you can misbehave, you can be a miscreant, uh, and God will take care of you. Um, that, well, I would it, say it, though that in the Christian it, it, faith, there is something called repentance, mm-hmm. where you a contrite spirit. You need to come back. You know, you you're humbled by it. Yeah, I mean, you can also yeah. get dev- devoured. Absolutely. By the, by the wolves in the in the forest. That's right. There could be natural consequences. <laughs> Which with my own little ones, we also have been talked about the natural consequences of things. You know, if you wander off, 
you might really get lost. Yeah, so that, that's the point I'm trying to make. Right. This isn't is really, I don't know if it's a point of difference. And I, 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 really, I really did like this uh, story. Um, I don't know if I should say that as a Jewish person. But um, the, the one thing that bothers me is that, for example, in Judaism, uh, we teach that God knows everything, mm-hmm. but still, still you can make your life choices. That's right. And really, it, it never made any sense to me, and it never will, but that's what we teach. That's right. Uh, um, That's what we but, teach too. That's right. Yeah, it's free yeah, will, we, we, free yeah, choice. We, we tell the kids, you know, if you get lost in the in the in the forest, right, then don't count on God, because um, he might not come. The right. shepherd might not do the counting. Right. Well, I just wouldn't bring. This is one story, one aspect of God's love. I definitely think. I mean, I hope that the shepherd. Uh, there was some consequence for little you that she learned her lesson and that maybe the next time there'll be, maybe she won't be able to, maybe she'll have to stay with a buddy the next day when they go up to the, <laughs> to the hills to eat <laughs> so and so forth. So I, I think we're, yeah, I wouldn't read too much into, I mean, I wouldn't, oh, I wouldn't generalize about um, mm-hmm. parenting or, you know, exactly it, those kinds it, of things. It, it's it's a lovely story, and um, I could almost buy it. <laughs> it's, it's like well, I take that as a compliment. It's it's borderline. It, yeah. it really is borderline, and I want to come back to that in a few minutes. I'm really enjoying this conversation uh, because I don't usually have this. Uh, I'm really enjoying it too. <laughs> you're, you're you're really the first religious writer um, who's who is a Christian who is on my show. And um, I'm really enjoying this, this conversation because really I, I have so much to learn. Um, but I want to take you back now to your first big success, which is Goodnight Ark. Yes. And uh, Goodnight Ark, I love. And this is a, a, a cross-denominational story. It's hilarious. Um, God is really doesn't make even a guest appearance here. It's all no. about the, these animals, uh, um, uh, these animals wreaking havoc. Uh, Noah's trying to get some sleep, um, and of course, it's a it's a, a brilliant play on uh, on um, Good Night uh, Moon, and um, and I love it. And the rhymes are terrific, and the page turns are genius. Can you can you show just a few pages and read some? Oh, of it? sure. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the one that sort of set everything else in, yeah. in, and then, uh, and then, in, then, yeah. Yeah. And then, then I want to come back to that. Then we want okay. to talk a little, a little okay. bit about, All right. about, yeah, okay. so this I, my first I book. want to talk about Jesus too. Okay. So <laughs> we have lots, lots of stuff to discuss here. That's right. Okay. So good night, Ark. Um, it's bedtime on Noah's Ark and um, the animals are scared as the storm escalates. And how is, um, and as, they, as the storm escalates, they all go running into his into Noah's bed. And how is he going to get any sleep? And how is he going to get them back to their own beds? And so this was inspired by my own kids, as I, I guess probably many of our stories that we write are inspired by our own kids. So my own kids and, and our dog, when they were little, would always come running into our bed when it was stormy. And they did not want to go back to their own beds. And But I thought the story about that was a little bit boring. So I kept playing with ideas. And then I guess because I was raised in the Christian faith, I was like, oh, one of my favorite stories. Why don't I make it on Noah's Ark instead of in a normal house and have Noah be the parents and the kids be the animals? And, and then there I, there I was. So 
took me a long time to get the rhyme just right. Many, many, many revisions. So do you want me to say it? Beds are ready, food is stored. Noah hollers, all aboard. Guests rush forward, furry, scaled, woolly, feathered, swishy-tailed. And the illustrator, Jane Chapman, has done a fabulous job because you can find these skunks play a really important role in the story. So I like to point them out to kids, make sure they know what skunks do. And then they can find them sort of hidden on the pages. But I mean, just wonderful illustrations. The storm escalates. Two by two to bed they creep. Noah yawns, it's time to sleep. Then, then you have the storm beginning. And then, but then you get, but not. And so every page is like, but not what? Who doesn't sleep? The boars. And there the boars go, grunting, gra uh, grunting, groaning, bam, wham, scram, into Noah's bed they cram. And then here you've got the skunks hiding. And it continues like that. And the page turns are really important. And all the sounds and the rhymes. And I tried to pick unusual animals. And it's, yeah, it's kind of interesting how things work. So, you know, this has become a very popular uh, baby shower gift and bedtime story. And I hear people write me and say that their kids really enjoy it and they're having to read it again and again. So hopefully it's okay for the parents to read it again and again too. I think they enjoy it. You can make sounds. So that's good night arc. And it's also out and it came out in board book a year after, which is, I think is even a better format. And I don't have, I have the board book of one. It's just a little bit smaller, um, thick pages. I had one parent many years ago when the board book first came out on Facebook, she sent me a little video clip of her daughter turning the pages with her toes. She was only like 18 months old. It was just the cutest thing, but really interacting with the story. So, so, that's good. Uh, so Laura, um, this book is really not denominational because right. the story, um, you know, the Old Testament is embraced by Christianity and Islam, but, but Noah's Ark is a, um, is a tale that you find everywhere. Uh, it's not just these three religions. It's like a, uh, like the pandemic. <laughs> it's, right. Noah's Ark <laughs> is everywhere. Um, before yeah. we forget, before we forget, please mention again the illustrators of the other two books, because oh. um, people are listening in the podcast and they won't be able to to see the beautiful artwork. So this okay. one is illustrated by. Uh, this one is illustrated by Jane Chapman. So. She's um, the New York Times bestselling illustrator. She did the Bear Snores On books. It was a great, great pairing for me to have. I mean, this is like a dream of an illustrator to have. And she really did a, a great well, job. All, so I can she, say, all I can say is Jesus loves you. Exactly. <laughs> but, 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 you, but you did your work. Let's talk about that in, in a second. Okay. Uh, the, other, the other two books. Okay. So um, Little You is illustrated by Tommy Doyle. He's an Australian. And I always like to say at school visits, you know, there are a lot of sheep. So that was like a really great pick because they're very expressive. And, and just and just show a picture of the of the um, shepherd. Okay. Because the shepherd, he looks Semitic, and um, I like that. You know, in, in a um, in a story that has to do with the Middle East. Yes. Uh, yeah, he did a wonderful job of uh, um, researching that and looking at. I think he looked at photographs and things. And all the little things that she chases, I checked, they're, they're found in Israel and Palestine in that part of the world. So even the badgers. So they're, and figs, I, figs are, that I chose that snack on purpose. Yeah. I love figs. Okay. And then. 
Go ahead. Yeah. But do you want me to show Bunny? Yes. Oh yeah. So Bunny um, is illustrated by Ella Jarzebek. She's Polish. So I've had very international publishers. <laughs> I mean, uh, illustrators. She's Polish. And she just did a wonderful job. I didn't see any of the illustrations till it was finished. But she added, and in a board book especially, so many details are in the illustrations. And she really did uh, an amazing job. My daughter, my niece, excuse me, who's 13, spent a couple hours looking at it and noticed that the pattern in the curtain on this page matches the pattern she's putting on, painting on the egg. <laughs> Just so many little details. So oh, we, those uh, are the illustrators for those. Yeah, we certainly uh, owe uh, at least half of the uh, credits to the illustrators of our stories. Absolutely, yeah. So, so now, before we talk about your move to more religious books and Jesus, uh, <laughs> tell me about you. How did you become a writer? How did you have this astonishing one in a million success? Um, let's see. Well, I've always, I've always liked, like, I guess, like many writers, I've always enjoyed writing. I started writing just for fun when I was little. My mom sent me, I have it upstairs. I did a retelling of Noah's Ark when I was eight years old on steno pad from an extra long steno pad. It's illustrated and everything. It has great, really horrible, but funny spelling. So, um, so it's funny that my first book was a, you know, inspired by Noah's Ark as well. Uh, I always enjoyed uh, writing. I always enjoyed reading. My mom was an artist, so we were always doing creative things in our house. She always had her paints or crayons out. So I was drawing, but I'm not, I'm not really, I'm not a great drawer, but I was always drawing and writing stories alongside her or in a different room. Um, and then I, I became a teacher. I went to college, I majored in history, um, but I became a teacher and I taught elementary school in California and then here in New Jersey. And then when my son was born, I stepped away and I, that's when I started writing more earnestly for the children's market with magazine pieces, poems, and so forth. So um, you started with magazines, which is a good idea. Yes. Uh, most of us don't, but we should. Um, so how did you get this notion into your head that you should submit to magazines? Um, well, I, the, the thing that's nice about submitting to magazines is that I think it's a little bit more, you could have a little bit better chance of having something accepted. So you maybe get a little early success that keeps you going. And my early success was I, I wrote crafts for highlights. I really had a knack for those. So I would just write them. And then I, you know, so I was having, oh, yes, this is great. And then I've always loved rhyming. So then I was started writing I write, wrote poems and I sent them off. Those are a little bit harder to have accepted, but all the while kept growing and improving. I took a class in magazine writing through the Institute of Children's Literature, which was really great for me. I had a little baby at home and it was, it gave me the structure to have assignments. And all the while I was also sending out things. And then uh, over the course of time, and I think this is really important, I, I met other writers so I wasn't doing it in isolation. And one of the things I love about this, like just being here with you today, I love the community of children's writers where it's a very supportive community. My critique group partners come out of 
this community. Um, most of them I haven't met in person, but I met them through the Society for Book Writers and Illustrators and other places. And we've become friends over the course of critiquing each other's work. So that was really like a growth thing for me with my writing. And then always just, I guess me, because I then had, by then I had two kids at home, knowing that not to be in a rush, like, you know, don't, good things are worth waiting for everything in due time. So never, not really in a rush. I just, at one point, a friend said to me, I had a story I'd written. She said, well, Laura, I think this might be a picture book, not a magazine piece. So, you know, why don't you just see what happens? So nothing happened. I ended up publishing it as a magazine piece, but it got me thinking. And then that got me writing. So Goodnight Arc, I wrote in, I don't know, 2011 or 2012. No, it was, it was accepted for publication in 2012. So maybe in 2010. Um, anyway, so I waited and waited. I, I um, revised it and revised it and changed it, moved where the skunks were, did all, you know, all sorts of things, <laughs> never in a rush. Um, and always just enjoying writing and enjoying the community of with working with critique, other critique partners, enjoying to, going to conferences and just enjoying the, the joy of telling stories in words. And how did you find the publisher? Um, well, the, the editor at one of my magazines became the editor or the senior editor at Zonder Kids. But that's, so that's how I just had that connection. But I, my agent, I, I don't think anything would have happened without my agent. <laughs> so this is, a, this is a good time to give credit to your agent who is. Yes. So I've had three agents. So my first agent, yes, she was, I mean, the, the agent really that she opens up the door to getting your work seen. And that was really important for me um, in navigating. It, it's incredibly hard to find an agent and you found three. Yes. Conferences. Persistence. <laughs> so, yeah, I met my first agent um, at a conference here in New Jersey. And then she left agenting and referred me to another agent in her agency. And then, and then now, now, and then I was with her for six years or so. And now I have another agent at another agency, but they've all been wonderful and really um, wonderful in terms of the editorial comments that they have provided and suggestions, but also just knowing the, the market and, and knowing uh, like when you get to the contracts, knowing what to look for and what to ask for and and just the support along the way. So, yes, I do think for me, the, having the agent has, was made was one of the things that made the difference. Okay, I did maybe. try submitting before mm -hmm. having an agent and it was like silence at the other end. <laughs> you felt like you were sending something into the abyss and never heard again. That, and not, because, it's like that for everybody, but for me. You are. You are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's like sending something, you know, in, into a, uh, into the universe. Exactly. Um, where nobody's listening. <laughs> right. Um, except God. Um, so so yeah. let's, uh, so, but you didn't mention the names of your agents. Do you want to mention any names? Oh, sure. Yeah. So Mary Cole was my first agent. She now has a, an editorial business. It's very successful. I think it's called Good Story Company or Good Book Company. Anyway, she's very successful. She was great. And then Laura Perkins at Andrea Brown another wonderful agent. And then um, Charlotte um, Wenger is my new agent now. She's at Prospect. So And these great. are ter terrific agents. But yes. I mean, people should realize that you are one of 
I don't know, thousands of writers who are right. agented and who are publishing with uh, um, traditional publishing houses. And yes. that, is, that is wonderful. Yes. Uh, and that's really a credit to you. Now, now we're getting to the Jesus moment. Okay. <laughs> I, would, I would just say, okay, we can get to the Jesus moment. But my books do, yes, it, it, they, they've treaded that way. But I think they always try to stay pretty close to that intersection. We can talk about that. Okay, go ahead. We're going to talk about that right oh, now. Oh, good. <laughs> so this is like what I call the uh, the God in the um, the God in the uh, in the living room. Uh, okay. So rather than the elephant. Um, yes. So um, you had this great success in 2014, I think, mm -hmm. uh, with Goodnight Ark, which is really, I would call it a non-denominational book. Yes. Anybody. Yeah, it was. We sent it out to both Christian and mainstream yeah. publishers. It had yeah, three offers, be... right? So it could have gone to right. It was just exactly. You'd have to it be a mis a miserable, publisher. miserable person not to love this book. <laughs> well, thank you. And, and and there's nothing religious about it. No. No. Uh, so so here so now, this is begging the question. Mm -hmm. um, why have you gone in this more Christian direction rather than opening up um, to a wider community? Well, I would say that I have, I would disagree with that. I think that I have stayed in the wider community because while this says Jesus, that Easter is about Jesus, and this is a retelling, this one can also, I think, be read not in a religious sense. It can be read as a, a shepherd seeking a lamb. It's a story. And this, we haven't talked about this one, but um, after uh, after Goodnight Ark, Goodnight Manger came out. That's a Christmas a Christmas story. But then this one is Diva Dolores and the Opera House Mouse. And this is just purely mainstream opera lovers unite and enjoy. It's a story of kindness and compassion and not judging someone by their small size. Dolores needs um, help making her debut and little Fernando is offered to help, but she thinks she deserves bigger help. So that one is um, purely mainstream. And my goal, I would say still is, I like being at the intersection. I like having some that are mainstream where I can go and, you know, just there, there, there's different audiences and I like that. And so, I would argue that my one... Laura, I know this book. Which one? This one? With the opera and the mouse. Oh. But it, it spoiled my argument, so I didn't bring it up. <laughs> no, but your, your, your last two books, I would argue that they're right. very, very Christian. Right, right. Um, but and, on, on... Okay, go ahead. I'm sorry. Okay. And, and um, we're running out of time, and I want to get to Jesus. Oh. Okay. So... <laughs> Um, so I have this idea, um, and, and I, I want to thank you for being on this interview. Uh, I, I had a little bit of, of trepidation because it's really outside my comfort zone, and you've made me feel a very comfortable interviewer. Um, so I'm so comfortable now. I'm going to ask you whether it's against the Christian religion to have children's books about Jesus as a child, because... Everything that I know about Jesus, this is as a Jew, um, you know, is that he was born um, in Bethlehem, in the manger, and so on and so forth. And then 
fast forward, he's like an adult. Right. There are a couple of stories. There's a couple of moments in the New Testament. Um, well, maybe just one. Well, there's a couple like, I mean, he's born and then it's a couple of years when they go into Egypt and come back. But then there's a, a very famous story when he's at the temple when he's 12 and he says he's in his father's house. And that's sort of the beginning. His parents are lost. He's his par- He's lost, actually, to go back. <laughs> They're walking back. Uh, well, when Jesus says he's in his parents' house, I mean, we know who his mom is. Right. Well, he's then saying, I mean, it's blasphemous. He's saying he's in his father's house. God. Jesus is right, saying. Right. Right. Yes. That, so that's that for, a, for Jews, that's an oive moment. Exactly. Yes, it was that day, too. Yes. When he said that, didn't, it was didn't, shocking. Didn't do him any <laughs> earthly good. Right. <laughs> so he it, had, it, it's like yeah. taking Joseph and upping the ante. Exactly. Exactly. And then, but then you're right, because then there it's sort of silent until he starts his ministry um, when he was about 30. So, so your question is, can you, are, are there stories about Jesus as a child that in, in picture books? I can't think of any right now, but there are a lot of course, of course, of Christmas stories. And actually I've gotten some flack from some people because baby Jesus cries in this story. And I wanted him specifically to cry because babies cry. So. I'm going to I'm have to have you back on the show because you've written so many books. Um, <laughs> but, well, thank um, you so much. So, uh, no, Laura, so, so I, want to, um, I want to suggest that you or okay. somebody write a children's book about Jesus. If it's not blasphemous, it might be blasphemous. Um, but what bugs me is that whether or not you embrace Jesus as the son of God, mm-hmm. or maybe say that we're all sons of God, mm-hmm. um, he was Jewish. Yes. And, and I think, at least the, the Christians that I grew up with in Ottawa, were, uh, many of them, unfortunately, uh, learned in schools that Jews killed Jesus and there were bad people and there was a lot yeah. of anti-Semitism in Ottawa um, when I was a young kid. And I, I kept thinking to myself, well, how can you be anti-Semitic and, and, and be Christian? Absolutely. Because I absolutely am with you on that. Yes. So we need a book about Jesus as a Jewish child. Yes, I think we do. Okay. So I've, I've given you a, um, a kind of an, a, an assignment to bridge this, um, this uh, chasm. Yep. Can I say chasm? Is that a good word in English? Yes, that is a wonderful word, word in English. And I think that picture books are a wonderful way to build bridges. So yeah, that, that's, that's, <laughs> I, I would buy 10 copies of that book. Okay. <laughs> oh. because, because that would bring everything together. I you know, agree. You, you might, um, you, you can embrace Jesus' story in, in many ways, but even for the Christians, you know, he kept kosher, he had a bar mitzvah. Absolutely. Um, All those things. Yes. And um, I, I, would, I would really take my hat off to, uh, to you or somebody who would, who would take that challenge. Yes. Um, I, I would do it. I'm kind of wondering 
whether it's in own voices, you know, whether somebody's going to come and say to you, Laura, you can't write, you can't write right. that book because you're not Jewish. Right, right. Maybe it has to be a paired, written, a co-written. I'm, I'm up for it if you are. <laughs> um, and my, my last question, but I think that we've answered it. Are you a child at heart? Am I a child at heart? Absolutely, I am a child at heart. Yes, I think that's why I love picture books so much. I think that's why I uh, do what I do. Absolutely. Keeps so, me uh, young. <laughs> Keeps us all young. That's for sure. That's for sure. <laughs> and keeping me young is, is quite more challenging than keeping you young. <laughs> so so um, it's been wonderful interviewing you. I, I'm so happy that, um, that you... Um, Agreed. We, to, I'm, I'm we did this. Yeah. And yeah. Um, I'm proud of both of us. I am uh, too. <laughs> such, a, such, such a great uh, and unexpected interview. And, and you're uh, super kind, as I hope that you would be. And um, I'm just going to say thanks on behalf of the New Books uh, Network. Okay. And this has been a wonderful interview with Laura Sassi on her wonderful writing career exceptional writing career and can't wait for what's to come all right well thank you so much this has really been because i was kept this has just been a wonderful bridge building comfort zone raising opening experience so thank you so much thank you everybody thank you, Laura. all right bye-bye thank bye -bye. you very much bye. yeah <laughs>